welcome to series two of my podcast, Innovation, where we get to hear stories and experiences of incredible women in science and technology. Not only will you get insights into some fascinating innovations, but you may also even relate to their stories, especially if you're a little unconventional or non-conforming. As with all science and tech, what these women do for a living has a real impact on all of our lives, whether we realize it or not. But here on Innovation, I'm also giving women a platform for them to be heard and for us to be inspired and uplifted by what they've learned along their life's journeys, both personally and professionally. This week, I talked to Lisa Jane Cook, a refrigeration engineer. I'm Lisa Jane Cook. I'm a refrigeration engineer working with GEA. Um, and I'm also a trustee at the Institute of Refrigeration and a director at ACRIB, which is the UK Air Conditioning and Refrigeration Industry Board. Wow. So, Lisa, why refrigeration engineering? Um, it's not actually something that I chose to do. I fell into it. And this is something that I found quite frequently when I've spoken to other female engineers is that we don't go through school and education thinking that we want to do engineering and specifically refrigeration. Um, it's just something that I had an opportunity to join a company. They invested their time in me and educated me. And now it's something that I absolutely thoroughly enjoy and I couldn't imagine doing anything else. So did you go through the typical sort of academic route or did you do things differently? Um, so for me, I actually trained as a computer programmer when I left college. I got an apprenticeship um, actually with a building services company. So I already had a bit of an introduction into engineering and building services, um, but they lost a major contract. And so a, a large portion of their staff were made redundant. And it was at that point, a job had come up at a local refrigeration company in the drawing office. Um, I didn't have any drawing experience and I didn't have any engineering background at that point, but my mum was an engineer and she worked in a drawing office. So she encouraged me, she you know, sort of said, just, just go for the interview, see if you can get the position and then I'll teach you um, evenings and weekends how to use CAD and how to draw. And um, I was really lucky. They, they took a chance on me and that was the start of my career in refrigeration. Um, I was with them for almost two years. And then a company up the road um, approached me and basically offered me an apprenticeship to go back through to college and retrain again in building services engineering this time. So that's sort of how I got into it. And my route into where I am now is it was an apprenticeship route rather than a sort of a sort of a normal higher education route. That is so amazing. Um, my jaw just hit the floor when you said your mum is an engineer. Like, Tell me about that. Um, so yeah, she was um, a little bit different, I suppose. I think that's probably where I'm lucky, and that's again another thing that I found speaking to lots of other female engineers is that they had a strong role model growing up, another female, and it wasn't always a mum; it might have been an auntie or a friend, but someone else that worked in engineering that they could look up to and think, "Well, wow, you're doing something you really love, and it's really, really different." Um, so my mum, when she left school, she went to train. Um, at a, I think it was like a civil service type establishment. And that's where she got into what she was doing. But she did lots of different engineering, but she was an electrical engineer. So a little bit different from myself working on the water side. I get the impression that it doesn't seem that abnormal to you that you're a woman in engineering, or is it? I suppose things are changing. I, I think, though, for me, the, the confidence that I had and the, the way that I went after it was down to my mum. Because if you imagine back in the 70s, 
she really was in the minority there and you know there really weren't that many women doing it and because of the type of work she was doing she was doing electrical engineering but she was working with the Ministry of Defence so a lot of the things she was doing was top secret so there really weren't any other women doing that at that time and I think that that gave me the confidence and the belief in myself you know the encouragement that she gave me to say you can do anything that you want um and like I said I didn't I didn't want to do engineering when I was at school I trained um from the age of five actually as a classical musician and all I ever wanted to do was music I wanted to travel the world and play um but because my mum was an engineer and you know obviously there's a certain skill set that goes with that and my dad was also an engineer and my two grandfathers engineers as well and so you know I think there's just something in the family that we have a natural gift for maths and science so it was it was more about following my strengths and then I found from that something that I thoroughly enjoyed so I don't, I don't know no I don't I don't think it is it's and like I say things are changing now we've definitely got a lot more women in engineering and so it's, it's becoming easier by the day to actually really thrive in this environment. So have you felt that we need to encourage women in engineering or do you think it's just natural the way things are? Um, no I do think we need to encourage them something that I've learned from the STEM ambassador work that I'm doing is that there are still a lot of young children and I'm teaching a lot of primary classes that don't think this is a job for women and they just don't understand and I've had quite a few say well you can't be an engineer because you're a girl and it's it's about going out there and changing those stereotypes those beliefs and showing everybody and it, we're not focusing just on women by being a woman in engineering going into school I want all of the children to know that there are opportunities for them and if it's something they really enjoy if they love the maths and the science and doing the hands-on experiments there's an opportunity for them to do that as a career and to you know find something they really love and enjoy. Yeah I mean it sounds like you had both your mum and your dad as engineering role models. I myself had my dad as an engineering role model and he still is. Um, But what is the definition of an engineer for you? Um, For me it's 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 about someone who finds solutions it's an innovator so you know it doesn't necessarily need to be a particular field you can be an innovator in so many different fields and like I say for me it's about solutions and the work that I do these days is not so much focused on just refrigeration as it's about sustainability so it's about looking at a process and working backwards and then trying to find areas where we can improve that process for the better and I've been lucky enough to be involved in some really amazing projects recently where they're carbon neutral because we've managed to capture waste heat from the refrigeration process and use that somewhere else and um, completely removing the need for boilers. And then we've used solar and wind for the energy. So it's, you know, there's, there's so many opportunities. And for me, like I say, it's, it's about innovation. Yeah, because, I mean, not only do young kids not have role models as engineers, Uh, particularly role models that break the stereotype. But there's also kind of like a confusion around what engineers actually are. And I I don't even think it's um, worldwide. I think there's a confusion in the UK because engineers seem to be um, more like grease monkey type of roles. But like in other countries, even as close as Europe, engineers are really highly respected um, what has been your experience of engineering? Actually, that that is something that I've written about um, in the past, is that quite often when you talk to people about engineering, they do 
immediately think that you spend your day in overalls and you're greasy and yeah completely covered in dirt and yes there are days like that because you need to be able to go to a site or to a process and and really get into it to understand it so yeah some days I have got my hair in a in a messy bun with a hard hat on top and you know I, I come home filthy but most of the time it is about that innovation so it's, it's thinking about those processes um but I would agree like I say it, it does seem to have that and I don't think engineers in this country are given the respect that they are in other countries I think you're very right about that definitely I think another myth is that to go into engineering uh you've got to be really good at maths and physics is that true no I don't think so again either because um, as I said, I did an apprenticeship and I didn't go through sort of a standard sort of higher education route. Um, and maybe that was because I wasn't as strong in those subjects as other people. Um, you know, I've got friends that went through and now are, are doctors of mathematics, you know, some really amazing minds. And I, I'm under no illusions that my mind is as brilliant as theirs, but it, it's not all about that. It is about your thought process and, and that desire to want to to understand, firstly, I suppose, is picking things apart and to then have that drive to make something better. Um, and I think this is something that's really important where this di diversity and inclusion comes in is because obviously everybody has a different view. And just because somebody isn't as strong at one thing as you, they have other talents and, you know, something else to offer. And it's when we all get together that we can make things better. So describe to me your typical day at work. Um, it's, it's actually quite busy. Um, so sort of start off, I normally start sort of half eight, nine o'clock and it will be going through emails and picking up any issues. Um, we manage a large number of sites for um, mostly food processes in the UK, but some pharmaceutical as well. Um, and obviously with COVID and things the way they have been over the last 12 months, those processes have been put under a lot of strain. So most mornings are spent looking at any issues that might have happened overnight and coordinating um, our sort of on the ground engineers to go out and, and deal with those issues. Um, I spend some time doing design work and reviewing processes. There might be a few hours in a day where I'll be looking for the next product that we need to sort of bring into our portfolio or how we can improve the products that we've got, improve the processes. And then there's also a bit of um, like customer facing work to be done as well so I spend a lot of time talking to our clients to understand where they want to be in the future because also part of that improvement process is you need to understand what they they want and what their expectations are to be able to offer them the best solution so it's quite a varied role no two days are the same either and what's it like sort of uh, being a woman in and amongst all of that um, I think like you said for me it doesn't really phase me but I think part of that's probably because I have had that strong role model and also because I've been doing it for a long time so in May this year I've been doing it for 22 years so I'm almost sort of ingrained part of the industry everybody knows me um, and you know I've, I've spent a lot of time building relationships with people and I suppose because I have done it for such a long time and I've always been sort of told that I'm one of the boys you know I don't mind to have a bit of a laugh and like say get dirty I don't have an issue with that and so I think because of that it's it's just normal for me it's like an everyday thing um yeah some women that I've talked to in STEM have had to sort of put their femininity uh to one side just so that they can be part of the team and not be singled out 
Um, have you ever felt like you've had to sort of deny aspects of yourself so that you are accepted? Um, I think maybe in the beginning, I was a little bit like that. Um, when I went to college to do my BTEC through my apprenticeship, I was the only female and there were times that the boys weren't very receptive to me and they weren't willing to let me have a go at things because they were worried that I was going to mess it up and that I just, you know, I wouldn't have the ability to do it. Um, but with my mum there in the background, sort of keep pushing me and that encouragement, um, for example, with refrigeration, we have to brace. So we, we brace copper pipes quite frequently to connect systems up. And the boys at college wouldn't let me do that. So my mum encouraged me to go and ask for some work experience. And I took a job in the factory at the, the company I was working at in the evening. So I'd work daytime in the office doing the design work and then come five o'clock, I'd go and do four hours in the factory assembling the units. And that gave me that experience. It, yeah, so I suppose I, I went out and changed that situation for myself. Um, it probably shouldn't have been like that, but it was a while ago. And I think things have changed now. I think that, that there are more girls. There's still not enough, but there are more girls in college. And we're seeing um, each year more and more women being nominated for the, the, you know, the top apprentice of the year awards, which is fantastic. Um, things are definitely changing. But yeah, there have been times where I've sort of felt even like say going to college and maybe just not wearing what I wanted to wear because I felt like I couldn't I was, you know I went more in sort of like really baggy sort of jumpers and jeans and more relaxed um but like I say now I, I don't I don't feel like that anymore I feel like you know everybody knows who I am like saying it's accepted that I'm here and I'm not going anywhere so I suppose they've probably just got to to lump it these days do you know it gives me goosebumps to think that you saw a gap um, which was you know men not letting women do certain tasks and the courage and the strength of character to just say okay I'm not being allowed to do something so I'm just going to go ahead and do it myself is just absolute gold dust I mean I, I that is so what women need to do um, what was driving you like what what was going through your mind when you were accumulating skills which you know if you had been a sort of like shrinking violet you never would have got those skills so what was kind of driving you I think part of it was the fact that they wouldn't let me do things and because I knew that I had the ability to do it and certainly academically with the, the written papers that we were doing that supported all the hands-on work Time after time, I was coming out top of the class. So I knew that I had it here, that I just had to apply it. And because they didn't want me to do it, that almost, it's, I, I don't like being told that I can't do something. So that was probably my main driver was like, right, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do better than you, just to prove you all wrong. You know, I, I can do just as well, if not better. Um, and actually, yeah, when I finished my um, BTEC, I got a double distinction. Um, and scooped the governor's award at the college that year which the guys didn't like but you know that was that was my success then my celebration for the efforts I put in um, and it wasn't easy that's working evenings in the factory going to college day release and still having to do my full-time job as well it was a really hard couple of years but definitely worth it. That is so inspiring I mean I mean you're a change maker like mm -hmm. basically you just smashed through all stereotypes and said, no, I want to do this. Um, were you driven 
by being told no or were you driven by your passions for what you were doing? It was probably a combination of both. Like I said, I don't like being told that I can't do something and I always will try it and I'm still doing it today. I, I for like the last five years, I've spent a lot of time weightlifting and learning how to do that. And it's the same sort of thing. I'm really petite. I'm only just five foot and a really small frame. Yeah, I'll still go into that gym and go into that free weights area. So that that is part of it. But I do have a love of what I do. I, I just, it, like I say, every day is different. And it's that that uniqueness of every day and that challenge that comes with every day. Like I never know when I open my emails what I'm going to see. So it's it's part of that as well. I am very passionate about my industry and that's that's definitely why I do the things that I do with the STEM as well. Like I said, because refrigeration is, we have a shortage of women in engineering as a whole, but refrigeration is a hidden industry. I suppose the only thing that's really brought us forward in the last couple of years is COVID because with the vaccination and the low temperatures, literally overnight, the number of inquiries and the interest in what we're doing just went through the roof and we haven't stopped working <laughs> like flat out since COVID happened. So how do we get girls to see the the beauty in engineering without them sort of shutting down because they think it's a boy's subject? I suppose for me that's where the STEM ambassador work comes in. Um, I've only been doing it probably two years now. But actually being able to get in front of um, students and I work with with primary, senior and I've done some work with universities as well um, with the older children or pupils just to talk to them and to talk about what we do is really valuable. But with the younger ones is to do those hands on experiments and to let them see how much fun that is, because I think once they've seen how much fun it is, they can then start to engage with the subjects. And I think, you know, it's, it's really important for us to do that. Then I also think part of it is is probably down to the parents as well. And I think that's maybe where I want to take it next is to start to make parents aware that there are these stereotypes. And, and we all do it. We all talk to our children about what they might want to be or, you know, the things they might enjoy. And when you have a daughter, I suppose a lot of people would immediately think of those more sort of feminine roles. And it's it's essential that we as parents see what they have like their natural light skills and abilities and try and grow those so it's it's for me I think that's probably like I say where I want to take it next is to start talking to parents and adults about how we teach our children about the opportunities yeah I mean I think schools um push young minds in a certain direction you know it's very much about getting the grades and going to the best um you know, the, the schools on the league tables and, you know, there's a lot of pressure um, to think a certain way, whereas engineering is very much about experimentation, having a go, prototyping, failing, you know, all of those things. Um, do you think those kinds of skills of, like, tinkering are important for going into a career like engineering? Um, I think having courage, so not not giving up, is really important because, like you say, not everything goes right first time. And again, that's something that we teach in the STEM classes is that not everybody's good at everything and not everything goes right the first time. So we teach the children to work together and to recognise the skills that they have in each other 
So, you know, to get less caught up on the bits that you can't do, but but look at to where you can help others and where they can help you. So I do think there is a, a part of that that it needs to be there. Like you, you have to have, like I said, that courage to not give up. Um, but I suppose it's difficult, isn't it? Because you might not recognise someone as a person that does a lot of tinkering as they're growing up, but it doesn't mean that that's not something that they won't enjoy. It's just that they've not had that opportunity to actually to do that yet. So it's, yeah. it's, it's a difficult one to answer until you really sort of give someone that opportunity to get on with it. Um, I suppose that's things where like Lego and Meccano and those kind of educational toys come in is to encourage your children. First of all, just, you know, you buy a Lego set and you build the thing that it is, but then maybe get some books and look at other things that you can teach them and do those activities together. Maybe that's why engineering is kind of on the rise because we are living in an era now where people just have a go and they put that on social media and it goes viral. And, you know, there's a lot more experimentation going on because people are finding platforms to have a voice. Um, Whereas previously we all had to go down certain routes. And so people kind of like fell off the bandwagon because they were just not built for sort of um, experimentation. Um, Because I do find now that a lot of people kind of just go on YouTube and find a video about something if they're curious about something, which I think is a really good thing. Um, How much, how important is collaboration uh, in what you do in engineering? I think it's really important. Um, Like I say, everybody's got their own unique skill sets and we've all got slightly different areas of expertise. Um, For me, for example, because I worked in airside product design, I know the ins and outs of that one small component, which, you know, forms part of this bigger system. We've got other people that specialised in in pumps. and We've got other people that actually specialise just in that vapour compression cycle. And to make it the very best possible solution, we do all need to work together. So I think it is really, really important. Um, But equally, I think you you need that ability to go off and work on your own at times as well. So you've you've got to be sort of well balanced. And how have you found being um, a woman, i.e. being in a minority, when you are sort of like in those team type scenarios? Like, do you have any top tips for like holding your own in those situations? I suppose, yeah, the biggest one is probably just speaking out. So I've been in situations, um, one that really stands out for me was on a rooftop in London, looking at a unit that wasn't quite performing the way it was supposed to be performing and a man came up to me and just said are you all right love do you know what you're doing (laughs) and I felt like saying no I think I'm just going to switch it off and see what happens and you know you you do get a lot of people thinking well is she here to make the coffee or is she just here to take the notes and the amount of times I get asked to minute meetings and I'll just say hang on a minute I don't mind doing it but I'm not going to do it next time and it's, it's about having that strength to say yes, every, you know, everybody should have a turn at this. I will minute the meeting this time or, you know, I'll, I'll sit back and let other people speak. But you do need to hold your own. You need to have that confidence that when you know you're the expert in that area to actually speak up and and maybe not even when you're the expert, but like I said, it's, it's all about innovation. So it's about sharing your ideas. And if you've got an idea, I don't think any idea is a stupid idea to put those ideas forward. Um, but I guess for me, I suppose... It's the, it's the confidence that's grown over the years. And I have had some personal development and coaching um, with very different sort of like people. And I've got a mentor in the industry as well. And so over the years, that confidence has grown. Um, 
but yeah no definitely you do you do need to, to sort of accept that you you do know what you're doing and to not doubt your own abilities and your knowledge you're reminding me of the exhaustion um, of having to do all that um what has stopped you from throwing in the towel um that's probably that's quite a difficult question I suppose some of it is the fact that I really do love my industry and that I have let's say it's almost 22 years so I've done it for a long time um the fact that I've spent these 22 years building up that knowledge um so I suppose part of it would be a fear of having to start something completely new and start all over again because I've reached a point where I do know a fair amount and it's you know every day is is about learning more but I've already got that base knowledge um and then I suppose the other aspect of it is the fact that you know I provide for my family and I am a role model to my children um so that would be the other part of it is to teaching them work, work ethics and to not give up on the things that they want in their own lives mm. So tell me, what do you love about refrigeration? Sell it to me. <laughs> I love the fact that it's constantly changing. Um, you know, things sort of go round and round. And at the moment, um, with the move for, you know, sort of a greener future and the way that everybody's focused on the environment, we use less and less gases that are damaging to the ozone layer and, you know, global warming potentials. And through that, we've seen things go full circle. So, you know, sort of 100 years ago, ammonia was the refrigerant of choice. And a lot of people moved away from that because if there's ammonia leaks, it's not very nice for people. People can end up in hospital or even worse, you know, losing their lives. But the fact is, is that it's one of the better refrigerants, like performance wise and for the environment. It's, it's, it doesn't deplete the ozone layer and the global warming potential is zero as well. So it's, you know, it's a brilliant refrigerant to have. So I suppose that's part of it is the fact that it's constantly changing and we've, we've seen a lot of changes in refrigerants. We've seen a lot of changes in law. So things about, you know, energy usage, um, safety of products. So even sort of like strengthening of systems, pipework, valves, everything, you know, things have become more and more tight, which means that we are constantly having to rethink what we're doing and to go back to the drawing board and start all over again. So it's like, you know, not giving up, going back to the drawing board, go and test something else, improve it. And we have come a long way. Like I said, we've, we've gone from systems where we would dump all the heat. So we would, you know, refrigerate something, a process, a room, whatever it is, and just dump all that weight heat to atmosphere. And now we're taking that back and heating up water with it, which, like I said, we, we're getting rid of boilers now on systems, which is amazing. So it's, it's that constant, like that challenge, that innovation, um, and actually just keeping up with everything as well. There's plenty of learning opportunities. And someone who likes to learn you know it's, it's a great environment for them to be in it is amazing actually because hot countries have fridges in their homes in the form of air conditioning units and cold countries have refriger refrigerators in their kitchens to keep food fresh so there are very few people without some form of fridge Mm. Um, and and to think about all of those people using a fridge of a certain type, like add that all together and the environmental impact is massive. And so your job must really um, be, you know, about looking at that. So you're kind of like a, a, a warrior for um, a healthier climate. Yeah, and I suppose in the, the, the older days where we had refrigerants that were damaging the environment, as that 
came to light, we were painted, I suppose, in, in a, a bad way as an industry that was destroying the world. Um, but people don't realise how much refrigeration touches. So it isn't just like your refrigerators in your home and the food processes. It's, it's all of industry. So from like blow moulding and, you know, laser cutting to um, big ones like is IT, obviously data centres and the internet. Um, and that's actually a fantastic point to take into schools because children really don't realise how much it touches everything in this modern world but as soon as you say your phone wouldn't work or your laptop wouldn't work they're just like wow okay tell me more about this um yeah. so yeah it's, it, it really does touch everything and, and like I say it's still so much of a hidden industry when you talk to people about refrigeration they just immediately think you're a you know domestic fridge repair person no one has any idea that pretty much everything in the modern world has refrigeration involved yeah that's really incredible um, it was one of my favourite modules in mechanical engineering is learning how a fridge works because it's just so wonderfully simple. It uh, is. But it can, as you say, be built up um, to really be very sophisticated, kind of closing the cycle and reusing a lot of the heat that's taken out. And so there's so many smart things that are still yet to be done in your industry, I guess. Yeah, I can't wait to see where it goes. I've, you know, hopefully, still got another twenty, twenty-five years to to be here and see what happens in the future. Yeah. I can't even imagine it. Like I say, everything's just come so far from when I joined to where we are now. It's incredible. Mm. So, on the sort of topic of lifelong projections and things, how has it been like fitting in motherhood and all the other aspects of being a woman um, whilst being in a very male-dominated world? Um, it's not been easy. I have to, you know, to say, it's, haven't always had the most supportive colleagues. There's always someone who, you know, just doesn't understand either because they've they've got a, a partner or wife that stays at home to look after their children, or because perhaps they don't have children. And and anybody who is a parent will know there are days where you'll get up and they'll just be ill, or something will go wrong, and you just can't go to work. Um, but we always manage to make it work, if that makes sense. You know, when your children are ill, quite often they'll be quiet. So once you've set, settled them down, you can get on with your day-to-day work. Um, it definitely wasn't easy when they were younger. Um, but again, I was lucky enough to have an employer that understood that I wanted to breastfeed my children. So they they gave me an office that I could go away to several times a day and just express the milk. So I was lucky enough to have that. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely hasn't been easy. And it, I'm tired. I'm still tired a lot. <laughs> My oldest is 15, almost 16, and my youngest is almost 12. So they, they are a lot easier to look after these days. But, it, yeah, it's it's just, you've just got to keep going, I think, it's, and just to not give up on your dreams because you're a parent. You know, no one should have to give up on their dreams. And we don't expect a father to stop working or, you know, to sort of take a break in their career and then perhaps accept that they'll never quite get to where they wanted to. And it, it should be the same for everybody everybody should be able to have that break to, to have a family. Um, and I think, again, things are changing. They're definitely the changes in paternity leave and fathers being able to actually share some of that responsibility is a massive move forward. But I think there's still a lot that needs to be done as well. You're such a fascinating woman because with all of the stereotypes that you've smashed through, um, there seems to be this consistent attitude of that's what I want so I'm going to do it you know however hard it gets like you just 
you have such a strong sense of what you want. That's what's coming across. Do you think that's been um, an important factor in how your life has turned out? Yeah, I think that that sense of what I want, but I also think a big part of it is a sense of ownership and responsibility. So I can't blame anybody else for things that have happened in my life. And I'm the only one that can make things happen. So it is all down to me. You can't sit back and rely on other people to to get you where you want to be. Um, I suppose like with the children, um, when I had my first, my husband wasn't working at the time he'd left his job he didn't enjoy it so he he quit when I was eight months pregnant so I only had six weeks off with my first child and continued to breastfeed him when I went back to work full time Um, and I think part of that is that sense of responsibility you know I had a mortgage to pay I had a child now to feed and clothe and no one else was going to do that for me so I suppose that that is a big part that I was brought up to take responsibility for the things that happen. If something wasn't right, we were taught to challenge it and change it. So I think that's probably one of the bigger factors. That's really, gosh, that's so profound. Um, And just requires so much confidence and inner self-belief, which is kind of like blown my mind. I wonder how much of that is down to seeing your parents uh, get on with things um, and do things their way and not necessarily fit convention. What do you it's, think? Yeah, I think that that is, you know, that does play a really major role in the way that I was. And, I, you know, I will go back to my mum time and time again. Um, obviously, you know, sort of growing up in the 80s, things weren't brilliant. Mum and dad didn't have a lot of money. Um and I know they really struggled when we were young. Um, for example, like we didn't have an iron or an ironing board. So my mum used to put the clothes under the carpet or under the seats. And my nan used to come every morning with breakfast because they couldn't afford the food. Um, so my dad went to work during the day and he worked at the local helicopter yard. So he's an electrical engineer as well. And then as soon as he came home, my mum would have tea prepared for us and she would go to work in the evening and I know she was exhausted and I know my dad was exhausted as well, you know, because he'd just done a full day in the yard and then he would come home and have to take care of two daughters while his wife went off to work to make that extra bit of money. Um, and it paid off in the end because the work that my mum was doing and the things she was learning and the, you know, the sort of skills that she was collecting enabled her to then apply for a job which had better salary. And at which point my sister and I were a little bit older as well so that you know, we could be left for a little bit of time. So there's a little gap at the end of the day that we would be okay on our own. Um, and I suppose it is seeing my mum succeed and the fact that, you know, mum and dad gave us everything that we had when we were young. And, you know, I, I just can never express enough appreciation for what they did. And I think that is part of it is that, you know, I want to be able to offer my children the same. I want them to have the things that they need when they need them and the very best experiences. Well, it, it really is like a, it, it's just so incredibly inspiring and I can really hear your resilience um, and yeah, it's admirable um, hearing, you know, how you've been formed um, to be the woman you are today. Um, what advice then would you have for anyone going into engineering or STEM, maybe particularly girls? Okay, so I'd, I'd definitely say don't give up. 
and you know don't don't let people tell that you can't do it you can do it you need to follow your dreams um and I'd say try try a few different things as well because you don't always find the right fit for you in the first place so when I started in the industry I was in the drawing office now I still do drawings these days but that's not the sort of bulk of my work um and while I enjoyed that that wasn't really where I found my joy and my passion and it was actually moving into the design side to doing more of the the math and you know sort of calculating how things are going to work and how the fluid is going to move through the system that was actually where I found my joy so don't always settle for the first you know opportunity have the strength to say that if something isn't right that it's not right for you and to move on Um, and I've even done that sort of later in my career because I spent 18 years of that designing the airside products and when I reached that 18th year I sort of thought well it's getting very much the samey and it's you know it's although I still love it I've kind of lost that drive and that passion I wasn't learning enough anymore so I moved into complete system design and I forgot that was so nerve-wracking just to do that just to walk away from something that you knew for so long and although it is in the same industry it's a different role and actually it's been brilliant for me because my learning has now taken off again and I've, I've sort of opened myself up to a lot more opportunities because I now know that if it's not right, I can just say, right, I'll just go and try something else. And you will find your fit and your place. So definitely don't give up. Don't let people tell you that you can't do something. Follow your dreams and just try different things. Find find your place. There is a place for you. Well, Lisa, it's just been incredible talking to you. Thanks for all that you give, um, because you give so much of yourself uh, to STEM, to your family, to work. Uh, I just see this outpouring of just so much of what you have within that is of massive value. You just give um, and it really, really, you know, I mean, I think being of service to other people is really what life is all about. Um, and you have that in bucket loads. So thank you for being so inspiring. Um, and uh, for having this sort of um, presence about you that kind of is just very boosting. As a woman, listening to you, uh, I just feel extremely boosted. It's very much a sense of like, wow, if she can do all that, so can I. And I think, um, well, I hope my audience gets that same feeling too. So thank you. Oh, thank you. It's been really nice to meet you and it's, it's nice to have the opportunity to share my story. Thanks for listening and please do subscribe to this podcast and maybe even rate and review it if you can. The more ratings and reviews and the more interest from those trusty algorithms, which could help to increase the reach of this show. And you can watch the video recording of this conversation on YouTube on my new series called Esteemed. It's all about self-discovery, self-evolution and inclusivity on innovation. Let's all strive to be in the best versions of ourselves and celebrate others being themselves too. As always, be kind and loving, and I wish you all a great week.